In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. This is Liz here and uh, today I'm very excited because I've got a good friend with me today for my first ever interview. Very technological, I'm getting very brave doing this. Now, as you know, I'm not guiding this year and one of the things I miss most is seeing friends that I've made around the route and none more so than the two that run Layalt Working Sheepdogs, that's Neil Ross and his wife Glynis who helps. So Neil's the shepherd and Glynis is the power behind the throne. So I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Glynis to you today. So Glynis, can you start by telling us a little bit about Layalt and the farm itself? Hello Liz, it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you today. We absolutely have missed seeing all the tour guides coming in this year, especially with the, the current situation. And so it's it's definitely been a loss not having time to catch up with you, especially and, and visit with you. So I'm very happy to be here today. As, as you say, yes, we, we run a sheep farm based at, at Layalt Farm, which is near Kincraig in the Highlands. And it's Layalt Farm is a smaller portion of Dunachton Estate, which is a larger <clears throat> estate in, in this area, which extends to about 11,000 acres of, of mainly hill ground. So what we're working with is a large hill area and, and a few pastures, a few fields for, for the livestock. We run around 1,200 head of sheep, and they are mostly the Scottish blackface sheep, which is sort of your iconic Scottish sheep with the, the, the lovely black face and the, the big white woolly coats and they are hugely adapted to this area we we get very coarse winters very very wet very windy very cold the summers you know we're sweltering when we get up to about 17 degrees it's you know we we don't get much <laughs> much much warmer than that we're all suffering a little bit so these these sheep are incredibly hardy they're from this area they're they're a highland sheep and so it just makes complete sense to to run them here they're they're very well adapted to a hill farming place i know that listening amongst our listeners will be some who've traveled with us before and have visited the farm and they will be in absolute raptures at this moment they'll just be picturing <laughs> themselves standing there because it's always the highlight for for tour members coming so they've got the hills behind they've got the wind blowing in their face and then suddenly the dogs appear so they're they're just they're in the zone Glynis carry on it's, it, well, we're so fortunate. It's such a beautiful, beautiful place. Neil's family have been shepherds in, in this area for forever, basically. I mean, they're, they're just your real Highland shepherding family. And what how it came about with the sheepdog shows was, was incredibly organic. Neil has grown up training border collies to work on the sheep on the farm, not because he enjoys it, but because it's an absolute necessity. The hill ground that we're talking about here is not accessible by by vehicles very easily. It's you can't go out to manage the sheep on the hills 
without your two feet. And if you're going to be walking up these hills, you need to have someone next to you who can run up those hills and gather these sheep in for you or move them from one area of grazing to the other so you can manage it. And that's where the Border Collie is so hugely important to what this way of farming in, in this area here. So, of course, we've got the Border Collies and they are absolute joy they are a massive part of the family we just love them to bits and so neil himself when he was how many do you have how many dogs do you have so neil neil keeps a working team of 30 collies wow that's not entirely normal a lot of people can get by with maybe five um (laughs) we just really love them and we we have trouble sort of anytime we have a you know litter of pups it's very difficult to to sort of find an excuse to get rid of them we just sort of move them into the to the group and it it just works it it really works well and we've as I said we've got a huge area of hill ground that that we do work um with with the dogs and the sheep so it's great to have a big group that you can have some out working one day and other ones sitting in front of the fire putting their feet up and and getting a bit of a break so they all kind of get a, a turn um, doing the various jobs that are required. Just remember, I take it you don't have 30 dogs actually in the house, do you? No, you know, it's not at one time. However, I have to say there there are shocking days when you, you walk in. I remember once, this was, this was years ago before we had the kids. Um, we, we lived absolutely um, really feral back then, Neil and I did. And there was a cold <laughs> evening and I, I came in and he was sitting in the sitting room and he had sort of six dogs with him. His kind of his his main six in with him in the sitting room. That's That's quite a normal sight. And he says you know, pop through the kitchen and get us a cup of tea, will you? Oh, yes, of course. Wifey will do this. So pop through the kitchen, got the tea. Well, there's three dogs in the kitchen here tonight. Well, that's, that's funny. Oh, well, that's fine. You know, no problem. They're just lying around in the kitchen. And then brought us tea back to him. And then I said, right, I'm going to nip to the bathroom before I go to bed. Go into the bathroom. There's another three dogs in the bathroom. I went back through to him. I says, Neil, how many dogs have we got in the house? Oh, I think there might be a couple in the bedroom as well. I says, what? And he says, oh, it's cold out tonight, you know. <laughs> so it's a, I think there, there is a huge myth about working dogs where people sort of think that when when you're when you own working dogs, you don't think of them as pets. They're, they're just something that works for you. And that, that couldn't be farther from the truth. These these guys are our, our wingmen. They 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 see us through everything that we need to do. And um, they're definitely rewarded with with a little bit of a kip in the house and a, and a bit of a tidbit off the table. No problem at all. So, um, but yeah, unusual to have that many in. We, yeah, it's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Um, we just, the truth is we, we just absolutely love them but also we are absolutely utterly dependent on them it's a really special relationship when your working career and job and your livelihood um, being a, a hill shepherd is not a nine-to-five job we don't get holidays and and time off it's it's your lifestyle and to have that be so completely dependent on an animal who you train um, you build this bond with and this relationship with it's it's massively special and and I think that's something that until you've lived through that and you've trained a puppy up and worked with it and been in situations where you know that you can't carry out a job which in in the end our jobs when we're moving sheep off the hill or or moving them from one area to another quite often it's for the benefit of the sheep we need to get them to fresh grazing we need to get them out of if if there's floodwaters we need to move them out of dangerous way those sheep are also relying on on us to take care of them and we're relying completely upon the border collie the fantastic fantastic border collie so it's it's an incredibly special relationship to be in can i just ask just clarify for the the listeners um you say that neil is a shepherd 
Now, quite yes. often what people don't understand is that Neil doesn't actually own the land, does he? No, no, no. And that's another sort of very um, very typical um, setup in the, in the Highlands here in that the estate, the, the estate that we live on is owned by a laird, that the, the Scottish term for the landowner or a laird. He owns the estate, the houses, the ground, everything. And he employs Neil to shepherd on the estate, to run the livestock and to keep to keep the estate, you know, functioning and moving properly with with his You've got so much happening here. You've got 11,000 acres on these estates. We have areas that are put aside for, for forestry, for timber production. You have um, regeneration environmental areas where they're reestablishing natural woodlands. You have, obviously, a huge part of the, the estate is the, the food production and the animals, the sheep. We have a small number of cattle as well. Um, and then in addition to that, you have the shooting side of it for the stag and the grouse. Um, there's pheasants, partridge. And also, in addition to that, you have the tourism side of it, where you have the visitors coming to the working sheepdogs. We also they also run um, Land Rover tours out the hill. So you have you have an awful lot happening on one estate. And to me, I just think it's wonderful. I think it really shows good management in of of the landscape of the ground is is vital, especially now as as so many things are uncertain with going into the future with climate change and and how we use the ground and the environment is becoming such an important issue and i think these estates are actually very traditional these are they've been running these estates like this for hundreds of years but actually they can they can show the way as to how you can have ground and make it so productive and sustainable for a lot of different operations what they're sustaining here and neil's part of it as the shepherd is making sure that the grazing is all perfectly kept under control the sheep are, are in good condition they've got a great quality of life the hills are kept healthy if there's not overgrowth there's not rank areas on the hill um, it's all managed properly so that you get a wider variety of flora which provides a wider variety of fauna it's all the the whole circle of life if you keep a healthy biosystem um, you get huge benefits all over the place and the sheep are a vastly important um key role in that in a, in a hill system such as ours here and you you said that Neil had taken over from his father and I know that his brother's involved in it mm -hmm. so it's passed down from generation to generation and I know you it kids is. have already raised their own puppies haven't they uh, absolutely absolutely it's a it's a huge family affair and it's a bit unusual to have one shepherding family on an estate for so long but we have a fantastic relationship with with the laird um here and it's it's been wonderful that Neil growing up on the farm here was able to then just take over from his father when he retired and then he's been able to then take on the main shepherding responsibilities and then as you say I've, we've got our own kids coming up and they've been active on the farm since since they could walk you know even before that they were in the backpack going out the hill with me um we've, we've tried to have them involved in in every element of it because as I said it's, it's a way of life it's it's literally what you wake up in the morning and you just you do all day long everything else is, is based around it and it's, it's a wonderful way of it's difficult it can be very difficult times but it's it's still absolutely wonderful to have to just be so involved in something and have all your family around you doing it with you now I, I know that Neil is local and is several generations but the sharp-eared listeners will have caught a little bit of an accent there <laughs> there's a twang a about how you, how you, it's still there can you tell us how you came to be on Leal Farm in the middle of the Highlands <laughs> so I was born and raised in the the Highlands of Denver Colorado in America um my 
my maternal granny was Scottish and she I think I think it happens to a lot of the Scottish who have to end up um, moving farther afield is there's something about Scotland that just stays with you forever ever and I grew up listening to her playing Harry Lauder records and just she she just was absolutely obsessed with it basically and um before she passed the the last correspondence I received from her was a box with kilts and tam and journals and articles and and every sort of beloved item she had left with her that was connected to her her Scottish um beginnings so I took that as well, I clearly need to go to Scotland because Granny's sending me. And my mother said, right, finish your education first, hold still, get get a degree, get a diploma, and then then go do what you need to do. Um, so that's what I, I had to finish my, my, my university studies. And then um, I was off touring around. I just wanted to see every every place that was mentioned in the journals, every place I'd heard her mention where her father grew up. Um, all of these things, I just wanted it to become real to me and to see these areas. Now, that they were more Ayrshire um, located Ochiltree, um, very much more southern Scotland. And so while I was here, um, my sister was with me and we just sort of toured around all of Scotland. I mean, you know, while you're here. And in particular, we came through the Aviemore area and I loved it. I absolutely thought it was just the most beautiful place we'd been yet. And I, I was really taken with it. And we were really low on cash at the time. And so we were standing in the tourist information office and I was taking one of each leaflet from any place I could find that had animals because I really love animals and I've always wanted to do something with animals and she says what are you doing and I said well mark my words I says I'm coming back here I said but I need to get a job I said so I reckon I can I can take care of animals I can feed animals I can do something so I thought there's there's wildlife park there's Alvy stables oh here there's this guy with sheep dogs I'll, I'll just grab these leaflets and then I'm just gonna keep a hold <laughs> I'll keep a hold of them for a while so ran out of money had to get back home to the States and I, I was looking at all my little brochures and this guy with his sheepdogs, I thought, I bet he'll be the easiest to get round. I'll phone him first. So I, I phoned him up and said, you know, look, we're in Scotland. I really, really want to come back, but I'm skint. I need, I need to have a job, you know, so I can stay a bit longer. Do you ever hire people? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, we're coming into the lambing season. So we always need extra help on the farm for the lambing. So if you want to come over, you can work a lambing for us and help with all the lambs. I, I mean, literally, I just nearly bit his hand off. I was like, yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll be on the next flight. And he's like, well, no, it didn't start till sort of springtime. And this is this is sort of January time. Like, well, can I come a bit earlier? Do I have to wait all the way till then? And so he's like, well, if you want to come earlier, you can come and help us feed feed the sheep. So that was fine. So February, I showed up. And, um, and I was literally the lambing help that never left. I just moved in. Um, it was fantastic. It was just the best experience of my entire life. I finally knew what it was to wake up and feel like you were doing something with your day. You had these animals to take care of. You were in this beautiful environment. Um, and I just, him, I clicked with his father instantly. Neil's dad was just, oh my goodness, probably one of the most important people in my entire life in the end. He was he was just this just perfect Highland shepherd gentleman. He was amazing. And I'm so privileged that I got to, to meet him and, and then Neil and just yeah I just literally moved in and that was it they couldn't get rid of me after that <laughs> and that's 20 years ago now <laughs> and several children later and so yes five five children five children later yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, Glynis, Glynis sneaked one in on me because when I phoned her up to see if she would do this, I was saying, yeah, in the four. And she goes, no, it's five. I said, five? When did that happen? It's funny because even a few people... She has her own little like lambs. <laughs> yeah. What's that one? That's the next one. But it didn't all run smoothly when you did start on the farm. There was a few escapades, weren't there? Oh my word, there were so many. I think a lot of the problems came from the language barrier. Now, when I was coming to Scotland and many Scottish people I met, I did understand what they said. Neil is incredibly difficult to understand. His accent is so <laughs> thick. And I don't know if it's from working with the dogs. Or it's very, you know yourself, Liz, it's very, you know, it's, it's very sort of rough and ready and rustic. So we'd be on jobs and I was so determined to not be the city girl who who didn't you know, I just wanted to really get in there and be like I am embracing my inner farm girl and I can do this and so I was so keen and he would be shouting things to me and I'd think to myself right what is he actually <laughs> saying there and I think I bet I'm supposed to open this gate because all these sheep are running at me so I'll open this gate and these sheep will run through and then I think yes I've got that perfect and all of a sudden you just hear oh what's happening you'd be jumping up and down I think oh dear I think I got that wrong <laughs> so there were there were quite a lot of things where I I thought I was doing a very good I was very keen and I think sometimes that over keenness possibly caused me a, a bit of trouble uh, but never mind we always found the funny side I, I always found the funny side, <laughs> side of it <laughs> what you lacked in skill you made up for in enthusiasm absolutely (laughs) tell us about the tractor that was the worst (laughs) so the tractor we have bales of of silage so in in scotland because it's such a wet environment you have to kind of adapt everything so hay is very difficult to produce as a feed for your animals so silage is something some of your visitors your um, listeners might not be familiar with is basically like wet hay um so it's you cut the fields as you would for hay but then it's it's wet and it's wrapped up in plastic um to sort of let the the grasses sort of ferment inside in, in the the dampness and anyway the the cattle really really love it it's a very they're very heavy bales and so I was being taught to drive the tractor and I was supposed to put out one of these bales to the cows And I was a little bit annoyed because Neil was going off to play Shinty that evening. And I sort of felt like I was being left home to do the work while he got to go play. Just a little minute. Sorry. Just a little minute. You'll need to explain (laughs) to everybody what what is Shinty. Oh, well, Shinty. Now, I'm really bad. I'm probably not the best person to explain Shinty because I always explain it as hockey on grass. And Neil gets really cross at me when I explain it like that. But to me, my American head, that's what it makes sense to me. It's, It's basically a bunch of Highland men running around hitting each other with sticks and they tell each other that they're trying to get the ball from one end of the field to the other but basically it really looks like they're just clobbering each other it's there's there are very few rules I think that's the best explanation of Shinty <laughs> I've ever heard yeah, I agree with you carry on and, back to your track for <laughs> so yeah so he was off to hit other boys with sticks for the evening and I was left home to do the chores and I was feeling a little bit nose out of joint about it so I, I put my music up really loud in the tractor and I thought right I'm just going to enjoy myself so I was driving it along and the feeder that I was supposed to put the bale in is up this really muddy bray and I I just don't like it I'm not a confident tractor driver at this stage and every time you'd go up this muddy bray the the mud would really pull the tires of the tractor and the weight of the silage bale on the front it felt really unstable and it would give me I, I just wasn't comfortable doing it 
And so I was sort of looking at where the feeder was positioned. It was sort of midway on this hill. And I could see this track going up the hill on the side that kind of came down behind the feeder. And I was sure, and I, I must have got this wrong, I was sure I had heard Neil saying that someone else had used this track to put feeders in the bill. So I thought to myself, I'm just going to use this track instead because I'm not going to use this. This is so dangerous using this muddy track. I'm going to be far more responsible and take this other track. So I tootled the tractor along the side and this went all the way up to the top of the brae. And just as I got to the top and I was turning the tractor, which is now almost a vertical downhill, which it didn't look like that from the bottom. But as the tractor's turning and going downhill, I'm thinking to myself, this is far more dangerous. This is really, really not what I should have done. And I, I just had to keep going with it at this point. And the tractor's going kind of vertically down the hill. The bale is on the front, just pulling, just taking gravity with it. And I had just a minute to think, I think I'm going to make it. And then boom, the entire tractor coped completely upside down amongst the rocks behind oh my me. Goodness. And I was absolutely fine. I had a dog, June. She was in the back with me and I kind of, I was really worried about her and she was, we kind of had to crawl out through the roof of the tractor. And the worst thing, I just remember looking at it and it was completely upside down. And I just remember staring and thinking, I can't hide this. I, there's no way I can <laughs> pretend this didn't happen. I cannot clean this up before Neil gets home. And that was my biggest worry was that I just, I was going to have to let him know what had happened. And I was absolutely <laughs> devastated. <laughs> but I'm sure he took it well. He was just going to Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, he, oh, yes. Just, oh, yeah, that's fine. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there were a few more Gallic phrases shouted at me I think I was, yeah, quite, I'm those sure. are the times I'm quite I'm happy sure. not to be able to understand them <laughs> but of course nowadays it stands you in good stead because you have become an author haven't you I have indeed yes I think that was always going to be the natural progression of things was I anytime sort of little adventures would happen I would come in in the evenings and sort of scribble away and I think it started probably as letters to my to my mum and dad at home and sort of well, this is what I got up to today and I just I'm I kind of like have a flair for embellishing things and, and just sort of taking it to the next level so I would sort of write them into little stories and then especially as we start having our own children then they would sort of what, what are you writing and and well this is it here and so I'd sort of turn it into stories for them and they, they really enjoyed it so it was just sort of something I, I used to sort of say it was it was kind of really just my journal to make me kind of turn something that was quite often they were maybe stressful situations or something that hadn't ended up well and I thought I'll write this out to make it funny so we can all laugh about it one day and then so I had sort of just notebooks full full of all of my adventures for the first few years on the farm that yeah I didn't ever really envision it turning into sort of proper stories it was kind of something I just sort of did around the house and then we just sort of started talking about it a bit more and I think it started initially whereas Neil was looking for something at the sheepdog shows a lot of people would ask about just taking home something, a little bit of a souvenir from, from the sheepdog shows with them but most of your visitors are traveling from abroad they they don't want to take something big, something cumbersome. So we kind of thought, well, a small little children's book is quite easily packed. It's kind of lightweight. And you could kind of take the farm home with you, if you like. So Neil asked me, I was I was actually pregnant with Donald, our third child at the time. And I was I was a bit stir crazy. I couldn't work on the farm as much, obviously. And I, I don't do well without projects. And I think I was probably driving him nuts a bit and so he was like we need a project for you you need something to do and so he said why don't you write a story about the sheepdog demonstrations and you you need to illustrate it and all this I said I can't, I can't 
illustrate I'm not, I can write I've never ever tried to draw anything and he said well I'm not paying anyone else to do it so you you've got to do it and it was great he really he, re- he really pushed me into it I'm really really glad he did in the end because I'm so happy with what we came up with but that was that was the first book it's called A Visit to Working Sheepdogs and it is literally the sort of the visit to the farm in book form so you can take it take it home with you and remember sort of the things you saw when you came to the farm and it was so much fun to put together and I had no idea sort of what, what sort of response it would have. And, and when it was so positive and everyone really enjoyed it and then would go away and then you start getting email requests for people. We were here from America, we've come back home and our friends want it or we want one for our local library. And it was, it was amazing. I was so overwhelmed. And then everyone starts asking you about your next one and when are you doing your next story? And I thought, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and so I was chatting a friend of mine who is absolutely lovely, Anne Vistano, local here and just an absolutely tremendous artist, so talented and just one of the nicest people you've ever met. Um, our boys played shinty together at the school and we were just chatting away one evening during the shinty practice and I was saying how I've got all these you know, people asking if I'm going to do another book and I'd really like to, but I'm just really not very confident about my illustrating skills. And of course, she being a and hugely talented painter I never thought she'd be interested in children's book and she said you know what I'd love to collab with that so we ended up working together and we created the punk rock farmer which is very 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 autobiographical for myself Um, everything that happens in it all the troublesome things that the character April gets up to are all true events I think she's probably very um, exaggerated characteristics of myself and then Neil's character kind of exaggerated characteristics of his self so those aren't maybe as spot on but the story itself is very very true and it's quite fun to have people read it and sort of look at me and say did that really happen yes I really did that yes <laughs> um so that so that was great fun they're beautiful books they're, she did a fantastic job our, our two members love taking them home and I will put pictures of them up on Scottish Blethers oh, and uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with you I'll put your email up there Marvel. as well or they can get in touch with us because it's beautiful for children so certainly do Thank that you so much. but this year has been really different for all of us in so many ways you know we've been forced to stay at home and there's been so much negativity I suppose you know the downside of the pandemic uh-huh. this year but you've had the sheepdogs have just not the the shows have not been able to go ahead so you've been back to really what you did in the beginning the farm absolutely we really felt we kind of came full circle in a way when I first met Neil he was certainly doing the sheepdog demonstrations but it was much smaller it wasn't nearly as big as sort of the last few years it became quite busy with the shows and a lot of our time was split especially our children our two eldest Corwinna and Tristan became huge huge working force on the farm they were um, amazing and he just sort of found people taking on different jobs and trying to, to keep everything going. And then when the pandemic hit and the sheepdog shows were just completely shut down, Neil sort of came back to the farming a lot more in the summer, whereas before he was really trying to spread himself very thin, trying to cover all, all grounds and all bases and get everything done. And we were just back to, to that, just, just doing the farming thing again. It, there was something really lovely about it. I think with everything, you have to try to find that the sort of good points and realise that it, there, there has been a lot of loss, there's been a lot of worry, there's it has been a very very difficult year for so many people and yeah you can sit and look at the fact that this business is gone it's just you know and and with how tourism is and travel is it going to come back will it be ever to come back as it was but there's you can't really do anything about it we had so many wonderful years sharing our life with visitors and just getting them to have a glimpse of what we're doing anyway we call it sheepdog shows or demonstrations 
it really is just showing people what we're already doing. It, if the people aren't there, we're still in the fields working the sheep with the dogs. We're still doing what we do here. It's just there's not an audience there to watch it. And I think that was something we always tried to keep in the visits to the farm. We didn't ever want it to change into something because you, you can you can change it. You could make it a little bit more comical or a bit more um, touristic or, you know, um, and change sort of the essence of it. But we didn't ever want that. We wanted everyone coming off the road just to feel as though they just happened to turn in at this farm and they just happened to find this shepherd in the field working his dogs on the sheep and they just got to kind of see a glimpse of that and so we're still doing it you know we're, we're still doing that we're still going out the hill with the sheep and the dogs in fact Neil was out yesterday we've got this this um, week all the taps are going out with the with the owls so we're getting ready for for that so they've been out the hill gathering any sheep that have been straying too far away get them in close by so they can make sure that the tup gets out with them and um yeah we just carry on doing doing what we do i can certainly vouch for the fact that i attend your sheepdog shows maybe two three times a month <laughs> and i just so look forward to it. i always think it's like a soap opera because <laughs> every week the dogs are behaving differently there's a different bad boy every Absolutely. week that's kind of shouted at <laughs> they've all got their own personalities it's true so it's never the same twice no definitely not they say don't work with children or animals and we've, we've involved all of that in our in our life and it is some days you think oh my goodness what's going to happen next because you just don't know sometimes you can you can train them to a certain extent and then after that they've all got their own personalities that they go out there but it keeps it entertaining it's it's definitely always different brilliant it's a highlight of my tour never mind the tour members oh, tour absolutely love you. it but as you've been talking Glynis you've been chucking the odd Scots words in there you've been talking about the yows and the tucks <laughs> and coors and braise and all the rest of it so you've obviously picked up the lingo in the time that you've been living here so reflect what are your favorite Scots words that you've learned that you didn't know the meaning of at all when you first came so there are so many you think that they speak English up here they don't they definitely speak Scottish and I think I was very naive coming into that and I had to really quickly learn a lot of words and it's really funny because I apparently am a an accent chameleon I think is what I've been called in that if I'm around people too long I can I will sort of without even realizing I kind of start picking up accents from people so apparently if I'm on the phone with my mum as soon as I get off of it my children and, and Neil are laughing oh you sound like a proper Yankee again mum you really do so and then if I'm with Neil for too long I think I can really get the you know really just sort of the, the cool Scottish shepherd you know you just sort of pick it up really easily um so there's definitely been so many but I think my favorite one is definitely Burach that has been a word that has been thrown at me a lot because my life is usually in a constant mess and state of chaos, whether it's animals and calves and lambs in the house amongst children or, um, you know, gates being left open and animals running wild. There's usually a burach wherever I am. So I think that's definitely one of my one of my most favorite ones is burach. <laughs> brilliant and Helen for her topic uh, in the past episode did sheep so our listeners should know what a tup and a yow oh, is good. but what about a bray what is a bray well, so that's like a like a hill not yeah. not a huge hill good. yeah another good one for our listeners <laughs> there you go just a wee hill <laughs> a wee hill yeah <laughs> like burn burn is yeah, a, a small a stream yeah. yeah yeah burn that's another good one so if you've got yeah. you've got your rivers then you've got your streams then you've got a burn so it's just a smaller we have a lot of those around as well yeah. A bray is just high enough to be able to puff you out as you climb up. <laughs> there you go. Or a copa tractor down, whichever, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> 
let's do there's not all of us throwing tracks in <laughs> this has been absolutely fantastic Clarice. I just love chatting to you I love blathering oh, um, and I understand it's caused a little bit of a hoo-ha in the house that I invited you to come on to Scottish indeed Blathers. I so I am very much the the background of, of the whole um, Neil Ross um, show and enterprise he is the shepherd on the farm he is the sheepdog trainer and who people come to see at the farm however I can assure you that most of the things that happen whether at the sheepdog shows or on the farm they do not occur magically there is someone in the background who is usually not very well seen or heard and I just kind of muddle away in the back making sure that things run on time and when they should and and as they should and um, so when I told him that I had been approached for an interview about sheep and the farm he sort of bristles a bit but why would they want to speak to you? <laughs> I thought, because I, I, I'm actually quite involved. I'm just not the, the main face of it. Um, so yes, he was he was very happy, but I have had to literally lock him out because I thought he would come in and try to sort of take over <laughs> throughout the interview. So he's he's done very well at staying staying back. <laughs> well, I'm missing him too. So I'm sure that further down the line, and um, there's going to be an interview with Neil as oh, well. Oh, he will enjoy um, that. We'll do subtitles. Yeah, you will do that. Whatever. We'll do a video with <laughs> We've had that before. People will come and they'll video at the farm and then they'll send it back to us so he can see it before they publish it. And <laughs> they'll always put subtitles at the bottom. Like, oh, they've put subtitles on me. <laughs> he just can't believe it. Like... <laughs> no, he's lovely. We'll definitely come back. So thank you so much, oh, Thank Linus. you, Liz. It's been um, a pleasure. It's been wonderful talking to you. And I'm sure our listeners will absolutely love it and you'll get lots of positive feedback and kudos with your kids because they are very impressed that you're podcasting. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you.